0: Welcome to The Drabblecast, episode 404. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Sorry for the delay in getting you this episode this week, folks. One of the characters in our story this week has a Geechee accent, and it was a little tougher than I anticipated finding a voice actress with that particular skill set, you know? All about the authenticity here. It's a great story though, and definitely worth the wait. Before we get started, though, on our last story of our themed month, Women and Aliens Month, featuring all original commissioned stories by women writers about aliens, just wanted to give another huge round of thanks to our associate editor, Sandra O'Dell, who orchestrated the entirety of Women and Aliens Month this year, and did a fantastic job, I think, securing original commissioned stories from diverse women authors, and working with them to make them fantastic treats for your ears. Muchos gracias, Sandra. Muchos gracias indeed. All right, on with the show. This week we bring you Witches for Mars by Eden Royce. Eden's a freshwater geechee from Charleston, South Carolina, now living in the English countryside. Her work can be found in Strange Horizons, Apex, FIA Literary Magazine of Black Speculative Fiction, Fireside Magazine, PodCastle, and Pseudopod. Her middle-grade Southern Gothic historical novel, Tying the Devil's Shoestrings, will be published with Walden Pond Press in 2020. Find her at EdenRoyce.com and on Twitter at EdenRoyce. Our store is read to you by Sarah Days. As a cultural history interpreter, Sarah's writings and presentations connect past, present, and future in applicable, healing, and liberating ways. Her research and praxis includes Gula Geechee women, womenism, black feminism, afrofuturism, sexual freedom, black affirmations, and the power to imagine and manifest better worlds. A native of Beaufort, South Carolina, she earned her BA in Communication with a minor in African American Studies from the College of Charleston and received her MA in Public History from Union Institute and University. Sarah is one of the 2018 recipients of the Brian Webb Award for Outstanding MA Thesis in History and Culture. So without further ado, we bring you Witches for Mars by Eden Royce.
1: expected the government to allow it, to acknowledge it even. But Mara looked at the advertisement above a web page she used to compare prices of agate and selenite healing crystals. Witches from Mars must be practicing full, knowledge grounded, not learning. Practicing full? Mara scoffed into her cup of catnip tea laced with a few spoonfuls of blue aster honey, the only breakfast she allowed herself from her dwindling supply of food. If a witch was worth anything, learning never stopped. We were the wild ones, the ones who listened to the stories ancient trees whispered, who hummed the tunes Auntie Wind made when she whistled through the fields. Another sip of tea. People feared what they didn't understand. Many merchants refused to sell food to witches, claiming the magic touched had poisoned the earth in the first place. Withering crops, sickening animals, tainting water reserves. Mara laughed without humor. The more things changed and all that. It was difficult to accept your participation in your own demise. Mara had taken to growing her own benny crop, which was more resistant to drought, and the flat biscuits she made with the ground seeds and oil were her main source of protein and fat. But she missed the days of having slices of airy bread toasted to a hot crunch, slathered with sweet cream butter to accompany her tea. For a moment, she was lost to this world as she stared out of her open, sheer-paneled curtains into the eye-watering brightness of midday. Poppet Street was empty, but why wouldn't it be? There were no more witch covens in Charleston, no more neighborhoods where spells were bartered and borrowed, where children learned earth and ancestor reverence along with maths and sciences, no more block parties under full moonlight, no more sweet cakes, no more front porch conventions where elders in ankle length capes strolled across the broom swept street barefooted, to mediate disputes. Plywood now covered the windows of most houses, their salt-blasted boards flaking paint onto broken steps and overgrown azalea bushes. The air was sweet with floral-laced decay. Only her small carriage house and Elgin's next door were still occupied. It was a place she didn't recognize and one she rarely ventured into anymore. While the world had never been truly accepting of witchkind, there used to be pockets of tolerance where it was possible to live, even thrive. Now assaults rose to fill the gap, and it turned Mara's stomach. When she'd been a witchling, no more than six or seven, the elders told stories of how those without magic had killed her ancestors. burnings hangings, drownings, and so, so many other ways. Mara was glad she lived in different times, when people were more accepting, and on one occasion said as much. Her great-grandpap's summoned spirit had answered through her mother's lips. Don't be sure, gal. They minds can change in a flick of a hostel, but we, then you gonna see. She lowered her gaze from the whites of her mother's eyes while she held Papa Daddy's spirit and channeled his words. She couldn't fight the battles her ancestors had. She wasn't strong. She wasn't able to face the scorn and hatred. Wherever Papa Daddy was, he was probably looking at her saying, well, you're facing it now, ain't you? Certainly she wasn't as bad off as some. The news showed which owned houses and shops vandalized, her people beaten and violated. What had started in small cells, patches in rural towns and villages, finally spread to major cities. Her belly churned and she sipped more tea to ease it. Mara pulled a shawl around her shoulders. The more the flames of anger and hate spread, the colder she got. Why us? We were the ones who spoke of Earth's end and bore the weight of the world's jeering. That scathing ridicule had turned to fear-soaked wails and frantic scrambling for what used to be. Too late, baby. Bye bye mara slammed the teacup back down into its saucer then winced before she checked for damage none she turned her inspection back to the computer screen this advertisement on a website that had few visitors it sold specifically to licensed witchmen was odd was it real she hovered her cursor over the banner to see the url it linked to gibberish probably a virus meant to destroy her computer. She wouldn't put it past some of the people out there, so entrenched in their desire to eliminate the magical. She went into the kitchen, the warmest place in her house. The kitchen had been Muffin's favorite room, a snug place of treats and sun-filled windows. Once the witch's persecutions began, so did the cat destructions. They hadn't lasted long. One day, All the felines disappeared from homes, from shelters, from zoos. They were the wild ones too, and they had fled. She missed her muffin, but she understood, save yourself. It was all about that in the end. Mara held her hands over the largest eye of the stove, rubbed her palms together. The heat cheered her a little and the heavy fog inside her lifted. She didn't have to decide anything in this moment, or even at all today. Today, she would go out and take advantage of the clear sky and nature's gifts before the pickings got slim. Her stomach rumbled, and that was decided. They were few, but they were not alone, and those that waited to search the surrounding woods often did without. She and Elgin used to forage together, the sun beating down on their bare heads, warming their hair oils until the fragrance of roasting sesame surrounded them. But since that kid had thrown acid in her face, Algin hadn't left Poppet. Mara went alone these days. She shoved her feet into shoes, grabbed her paw print messenger bag. She gulped the rest of her tea, then headed out. Mara hitched the brown paper bag further up on her hip. It would break soon, but it would hold long enough for her to get home. Three streets up, one street over. Twenty minutes tops. Today had been a good day. Blackberries abounded, their skins taut and shiny. The wild strawberries she found were ripe, but didn't smush in her fingers when she plucked them from their viney beds. Honeysuckle blossoms, their teardrop of sweetness enough to forego some of the precious sugar. Dandelion greens, plump figs, an assortment of paper shell pecans, accompanied rose ships and saw palmetto leaves for tea. Algin used to love this. The muggy breeze, the sun-hot fruit, the triumph of living off the land. Mara had asked for her company, hoping the peaceful woods would be a balm. She'd even promised to leave during the hottest part of the afternoon, when non-witches huddled inside to protect themselves from the harsh sun are skulked in thick cloaks and hoods when they dared venture out. No go. Since the attack, Algen wanted nothing to do with the wider world. So now she sat alone on the carpet of grass, leaning her back against a tree trunk as it whispered questions to her. Why are you here, child? I was born here. Her thoughts sank into the bark. My history's here. History is not future. Mary wasn't sure how to respond, and the tree said no more. She sighed, shoved her fingers through her hair. Usually, the trees were more willing to share their wisdom. Why would this one suddenly? She caught a raw, rank scent on the breeze, a sharp stench that made her gorge rise, Auntie Wind telling her what the tree had not: trouble, get home. She'd taken too long this time, but the pickings had been fuller than usual, the bloom of summer on the woods. She stuffed one bulging brown paper bag into her messenger bag and carried the other, rushing, not running, out of the safe seclusion of the woods, scurrying for the womb-like safety of the clutch. She'd meant to go to the market for milk, hoping for a sympathetic cashier, but a gang of tough-looking men hung around the door, so she skirted the area and chose a route that wound further into the woods before emerging onto pavement. Mara looked left and right, then jogged across the street, breathing hard. Not from exertion, but from the foul scent the air still carried. She cursed under her breath. Stupid. She should have encouraged Algin more instead of going off alone. Wasn't going it alone what had destroyed the witchman in the first place? A flash of color caught her attention and she stopped. On a telephone pole was another advertisement, this one bearing white lettering printed on red paper, which is for Mars. Below the ornate script was a row of strips boasting a web address in bold type. No strips had been torn off. Her heart skipped a beat. Mara tore off a strip and stuffed it in her pocket. She turned away and came face to face with a stranger, more like face to hood, as she couldn't see inside the darkened cavern over the person's face. Head coverings weren't unusual, but the inky void within this one felt wrong. The hood turned toward the flyer with its missing strip. The stench blossomed into hate. It was over fast. The silvery glint of a knife, her yip of pain, her bag dropping to the ground, then footsteps running off into the settling sunlight. Mara grabbed her arm, blood welling between her fingers. She rolled up her sleeve in increments to her elbow, gulping down the spit forming in her mouth. The gash was angry, throbbing, deep. Her skin had separated cleanly. The knife must have been hellishly sharp. Fuck. She wiped her hand on her jeans, used her teeth to wrap a handkerchief around the wound. The white cotton reddened instantly. She picked up her dropped bag and headed for the hospital. The gash on her arm pulsed as though alive, pulling healing blood from the rest of her body, aided by the agate stone in her front pocket. A tight-mouthed doctor stitched her up. How'd you get this? I got attacked, Mara's voice was clipped. The deadness in Mara's arm was unsettling. There was no pain, just the pressure of the needle as it pierced her skin and the tug tug of each completed stitch through her insensate arm. She felt disconnected from herself, dulled to all feeling, an observer watching a distant and alien procedure. It incensed her. The doctor sucked her teeth and muttered something under her breath. The student doctor with her gaped, and his weary looking gaze flicked over to Mara. What was that? she asked. I didn't hear you clearly. If Mara had believed the doctor would back off at her sharp words, she was mistaken. The doctor kept her eyes on her work as she spoke. I said you shouldn't have been in that part of town anyway. Not like they sell roots or sticks there. Mara tried to pull her arm away, but the doctor held it fast. Be still or you'll end up worse off than when you came here. Let me go. Mara ground the words out from between clenched teeth. Her veneer of civility dropped to show the face she could only manage when there was nothing left to care about. She continued, her voice serpent smooth, or you'll be the one worse off. The woman's eyes went wide and she lifted her hands into a hold up posture. She opened her mouth, but Mara snarled and the doctor's jaw slammed shut before she stood and walked away without looking back. Mara watched her leave, then glanced down at the string and needle swinging from her half sewn arm. She released her hand from the vial of potion in her pocket, rubbing the cork to make sure it was still secure. The formula was head a mess to cause confusion. She was glad she hadn't had to use it on the not so good doctor. Um, excuse me. The verbal nudge came from the student doc. Yeah. The feeling still hadn't returned to her arm and Mara poked the half sutured wound. I can finish that, he said. His cheeks were flushed. A bead of sweat on his brow threatened to slide behind the frame of his glasses. I'm qualified. She shrugged and replaced her arm on the table. He nodded, almost to himself, and sat across from her. Mara had words ready to tell him she wasn't interested in conversation, but he didn't initiate any. Instead, making even, neat stitches any tailor would be proud of. Gently, he held her skin together, piercing the flesh, pulling it until the severed edges kissed. When finished, he covered the area with a bandage. All done, he said. Thanks. Mara rolled down her ripped sleeve. Looked like she'd be doing her own sewing tonight. She headed for the door. Will you go to Mars? She froze, anchored to the floor. What? It's just that, well, my mother is going and I'd worry less if you were there. You don't even know me. I think I do. He sat on the seat where he'd sewn her together, hands covered in blue nitrile gloves. I'm not a witch, but sometimes I see. Mara grunted, hoisting her bag onto her uninjured arm. Then you're a witch, Doc. Own it. Night had fallen. The city was different at full dark. She could hear the wind in the branches overhead, the rustle of leaves when cars zipped by. Her soft-soled shoes made no sound as she walked home, letting the moon ease away the tension of earlier. Not all of it. She had to remain alert in case anyone else lurked, waiting to strike out. It was exhausting living this way. She wanted to enjoy living. She winced and switched the bag of food to her other hand. But that wasn't reality, was it? Reality was, be prepared to explain yourself or defend yourself. Most of the time, both. She made it to her street and found Algin sitting on her porch steps, woolly dagger moths darted in and around the watery yellow light bulb above the front door, descending to circle around her head like a halo. Where the shadows fell on her face, the skin looked like a landscape, cavernous and pitted in areas, flowing and slick in others. Yeah, get lost. Algin's lulling mix of gullah and English was a balm after the clipped disapproval in the doctor's tone. No, I got stabbed. She showed Algin her bandaged arm, basked in the look of horror that came over her friend's face. A shower of curses followed before Mara could get her to calm down. I'm fine, okay? You get jick in the arm and you're okay. Algin sucked her teeth then stretched out a hand. Mara plopped her house key in it. The door tended to stick and she wouldn't be able to open it without hurting herself. Drink? Mara asked once inside. One of the things she could easily do one handed. Please for one. She poured two measures of rectified spirit over ice cubes and topped it with lemon simple syrup and a spring of time from her windowsill. She handed one glass to Algin, and they made themselves comfortable on the covered back porch, sipping. I didn't see who did it. They were wearing a hood, then ran off after they cut me. Algin nodded, pulling up her own hood. She hadn't seen her attacker's face either. It took Mara almost a week to remember the web address. She'd been keeping loneliness at bay with busy hands and quick feet, bustling around creating, mixing, learning. But today, she was a wild woman alone, craving something, a connection perhaps. She dug around and found the clothes she'd been wearing when she took the slip of red paper and settled herself in front of the computer. The laptop hummed a comforting sound, emitting a mild warmth that added to the coziness of the house. She entered the website and a night sky appeared. Not on the laptop. That wouldn't have been impressive. A shadow formed outside and overhead and the bright moontime sky melted to an inky star-filled indigo. A voice, teeny and sprightly as an infomercial voiceover, boomed outside. Witches for Mars? Witches for Mars? Startled cries went up in the distance, but Mara didn't listen. She closed her eyes, emptying herself of fear, opening up to the newly formed night. It sparked and sparkled, dark and brilliant. Then it was gone. She looked at the window, sunlight filling it once again. A skitter of awareness danced along the back of her neck. Someone was talking about her, or maybe wanted to speak to her. The doorbell shrieked and she ran downstairs to peer through the peephole. Mara? Algin. She opened the door, ushered her friend inside. You saw what happened? Yep. And? Algin chuckled, the sound warming Mara. It had been way too long since she heard that wind chime laughter. I gwine. Mara gaped. Really? Why not? Least they won't, we day. Eh? Mara's arm itched, the skin tight with healing. She rubbed a drop of reasonous oil into the developing scar. We can't live on Mars. We can't create a civilization. Algin pursed her unpainted lips. So? Look at what happened with Sanding. The sanding had launched for Mars with a crew of 12 of the finest minds of a generation, their voyage and arrival trending worldwide. Shock when the mission lost contact with Earth, tragedy months later when contact was restored to find only one survivor, a thin, copper-skinned man, Dr. Burnett Brockington. Mara couldn't recall his line of study, only that he'd had so many letters after his name, the news decreased the font size to get his full credentials on the screen. He only spoke five words. I am a witch, I am a witch. Travel, travel, travel. On the first anniversary of his return to Earth, he died. Later it was found Dr. Brockington wasn't a witch, but he'd studied several wondercraft rituals. He'd dabbled, he'd read, but he hadn't learned. He wasn't practicing full. Travel, traveler, welcome. Mara bit her lip. You sure about this? When Algin nodded, Mara rocked back on her heels. What the hell was happening? Algin was usually the voice of reason her graceful hand grasping Mara's ankle to keep her grounded when she reached the end of her tether. What was she supposed to do when her rock defied gravity? Tank on him. When Mara agreed, Algin let herself out. Alone once again, she filled a clear bowl with water and stared at it, through it, searching, scrying for hours until her back ached and her eyes were dry and pulsing, but she got no answers. Finally, she gave up, rubbed her skin with lavender and oatmeal milk and went to sleep. The next day she woke to an email. Wild one, will you come? We wait for you to come and bring others. Do not fear, no fear, bring and come. Bring yourself, wild one, to our wild space. Run here, be free. The email wasn't signed and the sender's address didn't make sense. It was Dot Miss. Mara rubbed her eyes. They were tired, gritty with use as though she'd been looking for something all night while she slept. She usually didn't watch TV in the mornings, preferring to get her news from trusted online sources. But today, she wanted to listen to what the world had to say. All she heard was more babbling, confusion over the phenomena in the sky. It had been worldwide, reaching metropolis and village alike, but had only lasted a few seconds. No official government comment yet, but many were claiming it to be a hoax, an elaborate prank by some wacko sympathizer. Mara wasn't sure if they meant a witch sympathizer or a Martian one, but she was sure it wasn't a prank. It hit too close to home, plucking a string in her heart. Her entire essence thrummed with power, intent. If it wasn't a prank, what was it? The unknown was her biggest fear. A known quantity she could face. But this... She hesitated to use the word opportunity, but she couldn't come up with a better one. Was the ultimate unknown. And how was she going to get there? Show up at a space station and say she was signing up to the Spellcaster program? Or maybe a ship would descend from nowhere to enclose all witcherin and speed them to the Red Planet. Ridiculous. But the melting indigo sky and that email full of strange yet needful words that resonated inside her like the vibrations of a gong. Wild one. Wild one. Welcome. Maybe it was time to go, to find new places where we could all be free. Wild one. Part of it was fear and the rest of it was doubt, weighty and crippling. Questions swirled within her as well, breeding excuses for why she couldn't leave. Still, fear of success was still fear. Suppose those empty colonies couldn't hold them all. How could they get food? How could they live? There were structures built, seeds and silos of water, but that would be all. There was no way the earth would supplement them once the witches left. We would be there all on our own. Be free. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Mara noticed Algin had a duffel bag. She always traveled light, but realization dawned on her as though she were falling off a cliff. Fast, breath stealing. How we supposed to do I think, she swallowed, I think we got an invitation. At Algin's raised eyebrow, Mara pulled up the email on her laptop, turned the screen. Algin mouthed the words, stoic face neutral. You right, Titta. Titta. Whenever Algin called her sister, it jolted her to stop. Living close together, they'd had their share of arguments some that ended because they'd agreed to disagree, some because they promised to jump to the next topic, move away from damaging each other. Titament, I'm with you wholeheartedly on this. We are here together. Mara nodded, hit reply. In the empty box, she typed. We are honored to accept your invitation. Please send instructions on how to reach you. Algen approved the message with a shrug and a nod. Last chance to change your mind? Nuh-uh. Algen swirled the ice in her glass and down the rest in one gulp, winced. I tired of this. Mara was tired of it too. She hit send. Within moments, a response appeared. Wild ones, you are come. Do this. Do and bring yourselves, wild ones. Be free. Blood of frozen. Some love. A dream. Some pain. Some time. We wait for you. Again, there was no signature. Is that a list of ingredients? A hex? Algen was intrigued. Mara could see the flicker of interest in her countenance, a reminder of when times were better, when she smiled more, laughed even. That hadn't been in a while. Looks like it, I think. Mara bit her lip. But what are these ingredients? Blood of frozen? Some pain? You know you's always cold. Elgin's soft words rocked Mara back in her chair. She was frozen in more ways than one. Her life iced into this routine of gathering food while being hunted. Her inability to connect to this world the way she wanted to, needed to, in order to be whole. Mara took the bloodied handkerchief out of her bag. It was crumpled, stiff, but that didn't matter. It was her blood, gone cold. She didn't hear Algin get up, but her friend now stood at her shoulder, handing her a fist-sized cobalt blue bottle. When Mara looked up in askance, Elgin spoke quietly. Her body turned toward the moonlight-filled window. I cry sometime, missing what we been. But I pose, I'm most scared of what we gon' be. Martyrs, ghosts, myths, She shrugged her narrow shoulders, draped as they always were in a flowing hooded cape. So, you got my pain. it. Algen's stare nudged her as effectively as an elbow, and Mira nodded at her titta. Okay, let's cook. In Mara's snug kitchen, they pored over the recipe Algin had jotted down on the back of a torn, open envelope. Despite the warmer temperature, Mara reached for her shawl. Before she could drape it over her, Algin reached out and plucked the handkerchief from her fingers and dropped it into a glass jar. Together, they completed the spell with the dream stones from under their pillows, a handful of the foraged berries they both loved, along with a sprinkling of the precious sugar. Mara gently placed the collar her muffin used to wear on top. She'd found it the day the felines left and she'd kept it in her cedar chest ever since. Before screwing on the lid, Algern poured in the contents of the bottle of pain. Now what do we do? Again, Algern's elegant shrug. Let's go sit. Mara pushed the jar into a patch of moonlight and headed for the living room sofa. For what seemed like hours they talked, strong liquor coursing through them. Mare awoke, head fuzzy and eyes tacky. She groaned, still in the house. Nothing had changed. When she looked at the clock above the mantelpiece, it showed the time as being near midnight. We're still here, she whispered to herself in order to not wake Algin. Algen was already awake and straightening her cape. Somehow, her long, dark hair was still in place. We must up? I don't know. The spell was confusing, so maybe. How do you feel? My head acting up. Yours? Mare touched her temples with firm pressure. A little lightheaded, yeah, but that's not anything. Could be the alcohol. Maybe it's a joke. Algen touched her cheek with thoughtful fingers. And we fools will believe in it. Wanting better is never foolish. She held her arms out, but remembered Algen didn't care for hugs. Sorry, forgot. More gluck? Yeah, come on. Mara led the way back to the kitchen to make another round of drinks. Then they could turn in for the night. She hurried to mix and measure, keeping busy so the pain of her failure wouldn't show. But it rose in her, the sour taste of defeat. Hopefully, the drink would mask the flavor. A hand met her shoulder and she jumped. What? Oh, sweet Florida water. Outside the kitchen window stretched a cloudless butterscotch sky. Mountains in the distance, but mostly an expanse of land as far as her eyes could see. They walked to the door. Mara put her hand out when Algin went to open it. No, we can't breathe. This is impossible. To her surprise, Algern placed a hand on Mara's shoulder. We welcome, member. How can you tell? I mean, we don't know if... Her words stopped as Mera watched a fan of sawpaw metal grow from the previously empty ground. It was a curious, dusky pink instead of green, but there was no mistaking its shape. Another joined it, followed by a blue-fruited lemon tree and tightly-coiled patches of wild thyme. Oh, she said. Algern opened the door so it didn't make a sound. While they looked on, another building appeared in the distance, and soon after, a gnarled live oak tree reached its arms wide as if seeking an embrace. How... how can this be happening? Mars is for witches, Algern said, grinning. She slipped a hand into Mara's, and they set off across the expanse to greet their neighbors.
0: And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Want to go ahead and get this episode out to you folks this week, so we're going to jump right into our 100-character story winner this week by Drabblecast forum member Big Dumb Yak. Here goes. Left, right, left. If I'd known that stepping from this curb would have led me to her, would I still have looked both ways? 100 character stories, not counting spaces. We have a weekly contest in the TwitFix section of our discussion forums at forums.drabblecast.org, where you can post yours. Give it a shot. You might be next week's winner. Follow the Drabblecast on Twitter at Drabblecast to get the winners early each week and check out other cool stuff that we post. Alright folks, that's our show this week. Remember that Drabblecast is brought to you with a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Tell a friend about us, write us your review on iTunes or wherever. Spread the weird. If you enjoyed our story this week, or things like our original commissioned tales for Women and Aliens Month, consider supporting the Travelcast. You can find donation options off our website at www.travelcast.org. Click there at the top of the website where it says support the show, and you'll find three options. You can donate once in any amount, subscribe for an automatic $5 a month, or subscribe for an automatic $10 a month, which, in addition to supporting, of course, your favorite fiction podcast, gives you access. To an extra Drabblecast episode each month by accessing our Drabblecast B-Sides podcast. The choice is yours. We appreciate whatever you can give. Truly, it's how we pay our authors professional rates, how we pay our artists, narrators, commissioned stories—basically everything that goes into this show. We rely on you. And speaking of artists, I need to make a quick correction here. The past two episodes from Women and Aliens Month, and subsequent pieces of episode cover art, old Uncle Norm got the artists mixed up as to what they did. And they were both such talented artists with unique styles, and both such cool and original takes on the story. I definitely wanted to make a correction. Samantha Barrett, credited as having done the art for Translator, actually did The Moving Stars. And Susie O, who was credited as doing The Moving Stars, actually did The Translator. My bad. You'll find the links to both of them in our show notes. Now that we've got that cleared up, special thanks to our kickass episode artist this week, Shoshana sumrall Furking. Shoshana's a technical writer living near Eagle, Nebraska. Growing up on the farm, Shoshana often climbed the roost at night to sleep amongst the chickens, only to be dragged off to bed by her mother. That is, of course, until the night she slept next to a flatulent hen and nearly passed out escaping the fumes. More of Shoshana's art, as well as her serial novel, Weatherbone, can be found at ShoshanaSummerleFurking.com. Find that in our show notes. Our program this week was brought to you by Zimmerman Bledsoe, Samantha Henderson, Jen Fisher, Poe Kyer, a tiny frog outside your window that croaks your name at night, Melissa Harvey, Tom Baker, Sandra Odell, Jason Smith, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to our wild space we run.